Are your characters falling flat? If you're seeking to write characters your readers care about, then don't go anywhere. Today's episode provides the answers you need, so stick around. Your best writing life begins right now. Welcome to Your Best Writing Life, an extension of the Blue Ridge Mountains Christian Writers Conference held in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. I'm your host, Linda Goldfarb. Each week, I bring tips and strategies from writing and publishing industry experts to help you excel in your craft, and I am so very glad that you're listening in. During this episode, you'll learn how to craft creative characters. My industry expert is Peggy Sue Wells. Peggy Sue is a best-selling author of 36 books and collaborator for many more. Action and adventure, romantic suspense, military romance, and cozy mystery pack the pages of the novels penned by P.S. Wells, including Chasing Sunrise. How to live better, easier, and simpler is the focus of her nonfiction, including the 10 best decisions a single mom can make. Peggy Sue Wells, it is so good to have you back on Your Best Writing Life. Linda, I always enjoy talking shop with you. Thanks for the opportunity. Girl, and we don't only talk shop, you bring it. You bring <laughs> the shop, you bring all the tools, you bring everything that we need as writers. And I'm excited that we are coming together and offering our, basically it's a beginner writer series. And we started with the Penning Pivotal Plots, which is a previous episode. Today, we're looking at crafting creative characters. So let's dive right in. What exactly is character? Character is an organization and structure of a person's personality. And the thing that makes character really important is that every story needs three things. We need a character that we care about. We need something that that character needs very, very desperately. And then you have to have an obstacle in between the character and what they need. And so those are the key points that you're going to have for a successful story. And then the critical elements for that compelling story include plot, character, setting, dialogue, and point of view. So we got to talk about plot before. So we're going to move into the second element today, which is character. And so the character, a lot of times there's a story that people will describe it as plot-driven or character-driven, and so which is best? And the best would be that it's both, that it's both plot-driven and character-driven, that it would be very strong in both places. Ooh, concise, to the point. We know what we're going to be getting today. What characters are typical for story? When you think about a character, you need to have a reason that the reader cares about what's happening with them, that we have identified with them in some way. We resonate in some, some dynamic there so that we are going to stick with the story because we care about what's going to happen to them. So when you think about the Pirates of the Caribbean, um, that series that came out, I remember hearing it was in process. And I thought, how in the world are you going to make characters that we care about that are pirates? 
Because when you think about a pirate, I mean, what is the one description that we give about a pirate? That they rape, pillage, and plunder. I'm not going to be real, you know, I'm not going to be really fond of following a character that that's what they're doing. So I'm like, how are they going to do this? And they did, because when Pirates of the Caribbean came out and we got to know the characters, they were different than that one little description. And we were connected enough that as viewers, we were going to follow them. We would suspend reality and we would go with them on their adventures. And so when you think about the other highest grossing films of all time, such as Gone with the Wind and Avengers Endgame, Avatar, Titanic, and the five star number five Star Wars, which is The Force Awakens, those are the ones that have brought in the most amount of money. So why? Well, there's a lot of things that went into it, but one of the key aspects is that there were characters there that we cared about. We cared about what was going to happen to them and we were going to follow them along on their journey. So that's what we're wanting to do as authors. We want to write characters that are so three-dimensional that we're going to be with them during the story, but they're also going to live in our memory long afterwards. Mm. When you were mentioning the movies, immediately I started getting the visual, right? Okay, yes, I remember that character, that character, multiple characters. And yes, I wanted to find out what was going to happen next. Some of them, I didn't even like them, but I wanted to find out what was going to happen next because I was drawn into that story. The characters themselves were memorable. They warranted my time and they warranted me sitting in the seat to find out what's going to happen next. And we need to have that in our writing. So help us out with what makes a character memorable. I was watching Jungle Book with my grandkids recently and Shere Khan came on the screen. And my granddaughter, who's six years old, said, I don't like him. And I thought, perfect. That character was written and then also acted and voiced in a way that it brought an emotional response out of us as viewers. And so a writer has one very powerful job to do with all of our writing, and that is to elicit emotion from our readers. And that was what happened in that movie. And so even our antagonists, our sidekicks, we want all of them to be able to bring some sort of an emotion from us. And so to have a character that we care about, we need to remember that Within stories, we generally have four types of characters. And so the first one is going to be your protagonist. It's your hero, the main character. Then we also have the sidekick. We have an antagonist. And we generally have a mentor. So our main character is going to be someone that is not perfect, but we can relate to them in some way, or they have some endearing qualities. So when you look at the popularity of Harry Potter, Here's this young hero, scholarly looking, filled with curiosity, is able to connect with his emotions. He has a solemn intelligence, a delight in discovery, and he has a need. He has a deep family longing. And so what is the need that our character has? Because they have to need something very, very badly. And so that's what's going to keep us going. Are they going to be able to accomplish and get and satisfy that need. So when we're writing our characters, we have to ask who is the audience? Because men, males in general, this is just a, a stereotypical general statement, 
generally prefer to read a male main character. Females, we generally don't mind whether the main character is male or female. We're just more invested in a story. And so because of just that general wiring of how men and women you know, think, how we operate, we have to ask who's our audience. So if you're looking to bring in a male audience to your story, then you may want to think about having a main character who is also male. And then definitely, if you want to bring in that female too, bring in her perhaps as a sidekick. Um, also, if you're looking at younger audiences, when you're writing for youth, your main character needs to be a couple of years older than the reader. Because if you think about it, when you ask a six-year-old, how old are you on their birthday? They will say almost seven. I mean, they're turning six today, <laughs> but they're already thinking ahead because kids can't wait to be grown up and they know what it's like to be at the age that they are, but they're very curious as to what is going to be that age. What am I going to be like in two years from now? So if you're writing for youth, make sure that your main character is going to be a couple of years older than your reader. And so if we go back to the audience that we were just talking about, which is, and, and why does Harry Potter resonate so well? Harry Potter was a great story, it had character that we cared about. We had a need that this character had to achieve, but also he appealed to both male and female in the audience. And so there was this broad spectrum of what they were able to do with that story. And so if you're going to have, then you move from your main character to your sidekick, I love writing sidekicks. Sidekicks generally have the best lines. They can be male or female, and they often solve the problem inadvertently. So like even when you're looking at those grommet, you know, the those little films about grommet, the, the character doesn't even have a mouth. There's no speaking that happens, but just the way that character moves and what they do and the actions generally gives the main character, oh, that's the answer to the problem. So sidekicks are a ton of fun. And so when we're describing both the main character, the sidekicks, whether you're talking about the antagonist, whether you're talking about the mentor, as you're describing that character, don't describe the usual. We don't want to know just the normal stuff that the character is like the rest of us but we do want to know what makes that character very, very unique. So describe only what is unique about that character. So for instance, when you read about um, Sherlock Holmes, what we come to understand about Sherlock is that he's incredibly brilliant, very quirky, and socially inept. And so those are the things that make Sherlock Holmes stand out. It's also some of the things that We've all been in situations where we felt pretty quirky or very socially adept. And so we can resonate and we can connect with that character. And then our characters have to be struggling and fighting and wanting to get to the other side of some very, very serious situation. So when we're writing fiction, we get to tackle the big questions. We get to tackle the big topics such as slavery, adultery, theft, Jealousy, envy, love, all of those came out and gone with the wind. And so those are the things that we put our characters into a situation. And when you're writing fiction, we don't have to make anything politically correct. We get to actually allow our characters to go through reality, raw and vulnerable. And we get to see as we're watching them play out, 
what things work and are good for a character, a person, a personality to have, what things are not. We get to see the results of choices that we make. We get to see what happens when our characters have to choose between two bad choices. What will they do? And so that's why our characters then become very, very connected and we start caring about what they're going to do. With our superheroes, for instance, because the Marvel films have been doing so well lately, but even with our superheroes, we have Captain America, we have Iron Man, we have Thor. Those superheroes have superpowers and we can admire those. However, every single one of them has flaws and weaknesses. So with Captain America, he is a man out of time. He's heartbroken. He lost his one true love. We also have um, Iron Man, and Iron Man is brilliant. He desperately wants his dad's approval. He has regrets. He is afraid of failing those that he loves. And then Thor, this guy is like, you know, so massively strong and powerful. However, he's made poor life-changing decisions in the past and he's lost his father's trust. He's at war with his brother. And so that gives us situations where like, okay, in that character, we care about what's going to happen to them because they put themselves in some very tenuous situations. When you watch Avatar, those characters there are misjudged and misunderstood and they have to fight against that. And so that's where we've put a character that we care about into a situation where they are needing to get something. Will they be able to get it or will they not? Mm, we have hit several areas that I can, again, visualizing the different characters and what makes me want to find out more. You've hit it out of the park so far. When you think about historical events, think about Titanic. First off, we have to put characters into a historical event that the reader's going to follow along with. We already know what's going to happen, how the end turns out with it. You know, when we have our characters get on board the Titanic, we know how it's going to end. What's going to happen in the middle that we care about? And so what they were able to pull out with the characters in Titanic is, you know, the one that got away, young love, impossible love. These are things that we deal with every day now but we care about what is going to happen to them and how are they going to work through this challenge. The thing you have to do with every one of your characters is you have to figure out what is your character's kryptonite? What are they most afraid of? What will have the most damaging impact on them? And whenever you know what your character is most afraid of, you have to actually let that happen to them. So for instance, when we watch Indiana Jones, you know, do you remember the line that he always says? Oh, uh, snakes. <laughs> yeah, snakes. Why does it always have to be snakes? So in the very beginning, when we meet Indiana Jones, we know he's terrified of snakes. And, you know, here's this brave guy. And we're like, why are you afraid of snakes? So we know that there's a weakness there. Of course, he has to face the weakness. He has to wind up in a pit that's filled with snakes in order to rescue the girl. And then we get to also go back in his past and find out why is this guy afraid of snakes? What has played into this that, that has impacted his personality? And then we get to also unpack our own personality. Why do I have the fears that I have? Why do I shy from this? Why do I not do that? So we get to investigate. So that's been, we've talked about the main character. We've talked about a sidekick. And then let's talk about the bad guys. So the bad guys mm. are our antagonists. And there's going to be a bad guy pretty much in there with most of our stories. Sometimes even if 
if there's the particular bad guy may not be the one thing that's blocking our character from getting what they want. There will be bad guys involved. Sometimes the bad guy is the one thing that's blocking our character from what they want. But here's the thing that's very key about a bad guy. The bad guy has to bring out the best in our main character. And the bad guy also has to bring out the worst of our hero. So they also have to be multidimensional. No bad guy is just generally evil for the sake of being evil. It kind of doesn't work with our readers and our viewers today. They want something that's a little bit more sophisticated, like tell me why he's bad. And so we have these, we get to know their background, which gives us multidimensional bad guys. So for instance, when you look at Beauty and the Beast, I mean, the Beast is just mad all the time and he's, you know, not very handsome and we're just like, gosh, but then Belle finds, you know, a way to fall in love with him. Like, why? And But we get to know his background and we understand why he's angry and we get to understand why he looks the way that he does. And so then we have some sympathy with him as well as we have with our hero. So how do we justify these two? How do we bring these two personalities together? When I wrote the patent... A fellow writer, Joseph Dyer, put a review out for me and he said, contains one of the best, well-rounded villains I have read in a long time. And that is one of my favorite reviews because I have our bad guy in there. But when you look at our bad guy's background and you look at our bad guy's motivation, you realize he's not really trying to be bad. He has good reasons for what he's doing. He has even good motivations for what he's doing. But sometimes what is appears good to one person is going to be not helpful to another person. It can be actually detrimental. So what happens when you have two people that are both looking to do the right thing and are both looking to do something that's beneficial, but those are in odds with one another? And so that's what I did in the patent. And we see the same thing happening with um, when we go back to the Marvel characters Anytime you can take your good guy and your bad guy and you can interconnect them so that there's more at stake than just good guy, bad guy, but oh my goodness, we're family, such as when you look at Thor and Loki, these guys are brothers and yet they are at odds with one another. So what do you do then? What do you do when you find out that you know the person that is your bad guy is actually the person that you want to be the most close to? So that becomes a great conflict. Yeah, I like these dynamics. All right, so we're looking at the main character, looked at the sidekicks, looked at the antagonist. What about mentors? What makes mentors memorable? So for your main character, we've talked about whatever is the worst that can happen to them, that's what you have to bring your hero to. And a lot of times that's what we have to bring our antagonist to as well, because that's where the character growth comes in. And so we can look at that with the Mary and Joseph story where, you know, they're trying to protect a baby that is about to be born over Christmas. And yet we've got King Herod who's like, wait, you know, I hear there's going to be competition for my throne. And so you have these two people with opposite goals that are going to clash against one another. And so what you want to do in that is, you know, observe about your character, look at your character's actions, their habits, their behaviors. How does your character interact in their environment? And then, you know, let's talk about doing a personality test with your character. Let's talk about doing an interview with your character because 
when we've got our good guy and our bad guy, and they're going to come up against one another, and they probably have some interrelated, interactive um, connections in their lives, we have to know what would they actually do? What would be believable for this character to do? Because there are some things, every so often you watch a movie or you read a book and you're like, no, they wouldn't do that. They totally wouldn't do that. I've watched Man from Snowy River, the very first one. And when he kind of like gets into this fight with the bad guy and then he turns his back, you know, he's, he's, he's knocked the bad guy down. He's on the ground. He's kind of beat up. But then our man turns his back on him in the movie. And of course the bad guy gets up and comes back at him again. And I can remember sitting there in the theater watching that and saying, he wouldn't do that. He would never turn his back on the bad guy. So be true to the character as to what exactly they would or would not do in a particular situation. And so in order to know that, we have to know our characters. And so then that's where a lot of times the mentor comes in, where the mentor helps them dig back and starts asking questions about their beginnings and about their past experiences and also helps them visualize and view what they want to do and be in the future and so can help guide them in that way. We think of Gandalf and Lord of the Rings. We can think of Obi-Wan Kenobi and um, Yoda in Star Wars, but that's when we have that mentor. And so the mentor sometimes does within the book, within the story, within the film, what the author has already done in the background, which is they've already interviewed and created this character by going back and saying, let's take a look at, it's like an intake if you were to go to counseling. What was their birth like? Where were they born? What was the socioeconomic status? And then what was their growing up years like? When did they hit puberty? When was their first romance? What was their teenagers, teenage years like? Was there a separation from their parents? What were their moods, early adult what was their education? Where did they grow up? What were their accomplishments, frustrations, failures? Those are the things that feed into who the character is. And those are the things that help us understand why a character does a certain thing one way or another. And so that's why a lot of times that mentor comes in and can help unpack some of those things. And so it's in going back through the background of Indiana Jones that we find out why he's afraid of snakes. And so, of course, we have to make sure that he has to face them regularly until he can get past that. So that's kind of like you when you get your heroes and you've got your sidekicks and you've got your bad guys and you've got your mentors, and that's kind of the collection that's going to come together. And as you know their backgrounds, even if you don't tell the reader what the backgrounds are, but you have to know it in order for them to stay true to their character as they act out the situation that you put them in and as they deal with the conflicts that they come up against. All right. Powerful. I'm going to turn our little page here. I'd like for you to touch on a subject that not everyone discusses. And this is when we're writing fiction and you have characters within the storyline that are growing together in relationship. So how do we write about intimacy and, I mean, sex in the lives of our characters that fits within our parameters? What do we need to know about this? Because we are authors, because they're writer, we are writers, and because we are faith-based, we want to be able to talk about anything. We also want to be able to talk about it well. 
So in story, as in life, intimacy shows up and it's going to show up in a lot of different forms from friendship to romantic relationships to sometimes events that are completely unloving. So for instance, explicit scenes and erotica, they do have an audience. There are readers looking for such contents. And authors who tell a story and include romance and encounters in a wholesome fashion are going to find that they actually have a broader audience because that story is appropriate to younger ages. It could be used a lot of times in schools or uh, you know, readers that just prefer something that's more family friendly. And so for any of those that prefer to focus on plot and character development while allowing the character's bedroom to remain private, we can do both. And sometimes we have to do both. So for instance, in the film Gone with the Wind, Rhett Butler scoops up his wife, Scarlett O'Hara, and carries her up the curving staircase. And that's where the scene ends. You don't have to go any further. We know that, what's, you know, that they're a husband and wife. Similarly, at the very end of Chasing Sunrise, I know this might be a bit of a spoiler, but Michael Northington, who's our hero, lifts his bride into his arms. And what I say at the very end is that he carries her into their future. So again, we've been able to talk about this is normal behavior for people that are in love, for people that are married, that have this commitment with one another, but we don't have to do anything that's explicit in The Chosen, if you've been watching the TV series The Chosen, they did this really well, portrayed it in season one, episode one, when a Roman soldier brutalizes Mary Magdalene. And so what they do is they have this actor, it pushes, the, the soldier pushes her onto a bed. You see his shadow fall across her face and the scene ends. So the viewer is aware of what happened without needing details but also it explains a lot about what her behavior is doing later on. It gives us a, oh, that makes sense. I understand why she would react that way. And then in um, The Kite Runner, we have a brief view of a bully overpowering a boy. And we don't, again, go into any detail, but it's there. And then I understand, okay, this was a key event and this is going to have an effect and an impact on these two boys. And then I really had to deal with this when I wrote The Slave Across the Street. That is the riveting true story of an upscale Detroit teenager. She was trafficked for two years. And so I wanted the book to provide awareness to youth who are targeted for trafficking and also to those who work with children and teens because they need to be aware. We can't, you know, we can't be changing it if we're not aware. And so I also wanted to make it so they can read it. So how do I talk about that topic, but also make it in a way that middle school and high schoolers can read it? So I have the reader accompanies our, our main character as she's taken into a room with men that are waiting. And that's where the scene ends. I don't have to describe anymore. She comes in a room, there's 20 men that are waiting. And we close the chapter at that point. We don't have to get graphic, but... Our reader knows what's going on. They're smart enough to figure it out. And so when a writer can creatively show intimacy and allude to sex while staying family friendly means you're going to reach a wider audience. So like with Pirates of the Caribbean, when we go back to that, the film series wraps up with Elizabeth Swan and she's wearing one of Will Turner's boots. And in a two and a half minute beach scene, the viewer understands that after three movies packed with adventure, action, and seemingly impossible odds that have kept the two apart, now the married lovers have been able to spend a single day together. When you're penning intimacy and sex in a story, 
the author needs to consider the goals. So first off, who's your audience? And when I write, I want to write something that is family-friendly enough that my kids and my grandkids can read it and no one's going to be embarrassed. So that's just my personal lines that I have drawn for my writing. So think about who is your audience? What's the genre? What is your reader trusting you to write? Is sex critical to the story? Because We've watched with Lord of the Rings, all those books, all those movies, and there isn't any sex involved. We know when people are in love with one another, but we haven't had to go to that part of the relationship in order for the story to be so riveting that it has outlasted generations. Also, ask yourself, is the scene more powerful when hinted at and alluded to or done off stage than it would be if you described it? And then also, how can you best tell the story in a way that best honors the tale, the reader, yourself as an author? Hmm. All right, folks, we actually have something for you, or Peggy Sue has something for you that's going to help you walk through what it is that she just walked through for us. Peggy Sue, what are you giving away? What are you making available to our listeners today? I have a a handout, which I just put the topics and just the high points, and that's all going to be together on one sheet. And you'll be able to go to my website and download that for free and just use it as a guide. And then if somebody wants to go a little bit deeper on creating characters, I put together a shorter book and it's in the Quick Guide to Writing Well series that I put together that covers plot and character and setting and dialogue in four separate books. And so there's this one book out that is going to be just about creating um, characters. And so that's available on the website. And we get to give one of those away. That would be most excellent. This is what we're going to do. On Saturday, we're going to announce the winner. And this is how you get in the running. Go to Your Best Writing Life on Facebook. Find the group, Your Best Writing Life, comment on the episode release link, has Peggy Sue Wells in there, and it's going to stay comment underneath to participate in Peggy Sue's giveaway. And at the end of the week, we will take all of the names, put them in a drawing, and we'll announce on Saturday who the winner is. We look forward to this. And of course, we do have the links in the show notes where you can get your own copy of the character quick guide, the plot quick guide, and the others that are in her series. You're, it's so good. Inexpensive. I love that you are keeping the writer in mind with this, Peggy Sue, and you don't want anyone to feel like they're going to be left out. And plus, you've got the free handout. This is perfect. You've done it all for us, girl. Thank you so much. You bet. And you can find those resources at PeggySueWells.com. Yeah, you can. And we do have them in the show notes. The links are there. Also, Peggy Sue's Facebook author page, where she's at on LinkedIn. We've got her website. We have the website also for Single Mom Circle. We want you to be able to reach Peggy Sue. And I'm going to let you know she's an amazing coach as well. You might want to talk to her about that. She is a wealth of information, very, very successful, and we are so glad to have her here with us. 
Peggy Sue, I know you're going to be coming back at least two more times for this series, and I can't wait for that to happen. We will talk soon. We will, we will. Thank you, my friends, for joining us, and please take a moment to share this podcast with another writer or two. Give us a star rating, post an episode review, and be sure to hit that subscribe button. You don't want to miss what's coming your way. I greatly appreciate what you have to say as much as what you choose to write. This is Linda Goldfarb, and I look forward to being here with you next time on your best writing life. Thank you.